Rejection most times is the redirection we need to unlock our truest potential. Life puts us in some uncomfortable and unexpected situations despite our efforts and plans. So how do we look at failures as opportunities? How do we deal with life's uncertainties, identify some losses as wins, all while not labeling ourselves as total losers or failures? You'll find out right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. Welcome to another episode of Redirection with Terry Carell. How are you guys doing? Jeez, we are getting even closer to the end of 2020. And, you know, I was just um, thinking back that how I started a podcast that I never dreamt in 2020 I would have ever done. And so I just want to take the opportunity to tell you that if you have something, you have an idea, you have a seed, you'll sow it. Sow it water it no matter how crazy it may seem no matter how far-fetched it may feel just do it okay thank you so very much for the very kind messages that i got this week in fact i thought that i would read out one from curvy definition plus on instagram who said terry god did bless you with this platform continue to grow and bask in his glory because girl you changing lives and inspiring nations Thank you guys. I got I got these beautiful messages across LinkedIn as well as Twitter. So this is something that I'm going to start doing. I'm actually going to start taking out um, messages that you send me that you use to encourage me. And I'm going to start sharing it with the rest of the community. So again, continue to use the hashtag redirection with TK. And of course, feel free to visit my website, terrycarell.com. Share your story with me and you never know, you might actually end up on the show. So who is my guest today? I'm so excited and I'm excited because if I call his name a lot of people are gonna be like who and if I say but he's Jamaican you might say who but what if I told you that he has done lighting for people like Demi Lovato Mariah Carey Jay-Z Maroon 5 and so many more Uh, have I gotten your attention my guest today is none other than John Da Costa, super lighting guy who speaks about growing up from humble beginnings, not really having any direction or any idea of what he wanted to be. And now he is that guy that you go to for your lighting and design. Trust me, you're going to want to stick and stay. This is now Redirection with Terry Carell. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. <laughs> How are you feeling? A little cold. It's cold in Florida today, which is unusual. So I'm angry at the world, but I'm yeah. happy to be here, though. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You look very cute in your silent night um, sweater. I might as well I tell you, you look very I festive. Especially for you, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be on a program that no one can see me, I must be festive at least. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, John, Sir John Da Costa, I met you in 2019. And we met at the launch of M Academy. And yeah, I was yeah. the host. And for those persons who are listening, going, the huh, the Emma Water. So, the, for, so JSIF, the Jamaica Social Investment Fund, funded main event and launched this M Academy 
that would teach production elements, lighting, sound, stage, decor, event planning yep. for youths that are in underserved communities. Correct. It was fantastic. And I met you there as uh, an instructor, as a coach. And I think you, are, you actually helped to put the, the program together maybe for for lighting i don't know you could you can yeah talk. no they um main event asked my company which is uh three jamaicans who live in the states uh called dgb live to help kind of like um nestle the whole thing together like mm-hmm. figure out the program the curriculum the time span that kind of stuff pull teachers right. from our kind of network so we pull teachers from people that we knew my friend a business partner worked at Universal Studios, so he pulled some of his friends. You know what I mean? Right. And we just pulled all our friends together and tried to pull this curriculum together. So, yes. And then also, I think a big part of it was that when in talking to Solomon Sharp from main event, he <laughs> said to me, you know, it would be good to have uh, uh, a single person that all the students can, uh, can look up to. Right. And because I came from an underserved community in Jonestown Arnett Gardens. Mm-hmm. and succeeded and break the mold and all the other things you were like the be, perfect it... right to have someone like me that could talk to the talk to them kind of mentor them through the program and i said sure like we had we had a couple <laughs> of minutes you know right. as we were talking afterwards and i thought just a few minutes i was with you your personality just everything about you i was like yo i don't know when i'm gonna see john again i don't know when i'm gonna talk to john again but i just know our paths are going to cross yes. and I, I don't want to give away what you do, man. I don't know what to do with you because I need people to understand <laughs> that you are top of top. And so for me, it was important for people who may hear the name and go, who? Because it's an industry. When you think about the, the event space, um, and of course you live abroad, it's a name that unless you're in the industry, people may not necessarily know. But if we were to mention some of the people who you happen to work with, then people would go, what yeah it's it's one of those weird things because i've always been overly humble and overly shy about the things that i do mm-hmm. but yes um so if we were going to tell people what i do my primary role is a lighting designer slash director um and then the, the the side of me the humble side of me says yeah i do a couple of shows and i've worked for a couple of people but then Terry carell is gonna ask you well, what kind of show like what you, which, which <laughs> so primarily i think it, it kind of spans a little of everything so uh i do a little theater you know things at the philip sherlock center that kind of stuff i do some um uh larger stuff like let's say uh festivals music festivals mm-hmm. so some fairs jazz mm-hmm. uh Actually, all those other little festivals. And then outside of that, I do a lot of artists. So to name a few, I would say, yeah, Sean Paul. I spent several years being nice. the lighting director slash lighting designer for Sean Paul. And then to kind of it's like, so, You know, I wish I had a cue, like a song to just be like, give me the light because you're like the lighting guy. That would have been perfect. And there would be a cue for that. And then outside of that, I kind of got kind of like spiraled into a couple of really good, you know, so Maxwell, Alicia Keys, Mariah Carey, uh, Maroon 5, to name a few, you know, I, it's, as I say, it's hard because I'm so humble to, to kind of like reel off these names. But by, yes, by I've, the, I've worked for the, the best artists in the world. And he's saying this, guys, by the way, because you can't see his face. He's just like, yeah, you know, X, Y, Z. The question I ask everyone then is, uh, who, who sits in the redirection with Terry Carell um, seat is, 
Is this what you always wanted to do? Lighting, event planning, you know, were, was this where you wanted to be? I, I want to say, I want to say uh, yes and no. I think um, my, 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 my pure art, which is art is important to me, creating things and building things. And from a young person, my father was an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a sign artist. So he used to do um, those giant posters. So when you go to Carib, that big post at the front and that big yes. post at the side, he used to recreate those posters. So he'd get them on a smaller poster and then he'd blow it up. Wow. But it's all hand painted. So from an early age, I was taught to, to draw things mm-hmm. and draw things to scale and stuff like that. So that was kind of like my first introduction to art itself and understanding colors and mixing colors and stuff like that. And I think once I got into high school and comics and, the, and video games kind of kicked in, you know, I think I wanted a little more than just the art. And then I said, you know what, let's try this drama club thing. Yes. So that kind of put me in that direction. My first role, I was a tree. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, so I entered the school drama festival with it. And we, I think we won some award. I don't remember. You won as the tree? Through that. Hmm? You won as the tree? Yeah, I don't know if I didn't win anything. I think the school, Woolmer's Boy School, won something for something that we did. I don't know. But I was a tree, so I just stood there and spoke. Um, one of my most dramatic roles, I must say. Oh, my gosh. But I think, I think the next kind of curve in the la- to kind of point me to lighting was I ended up getting invited to audition for No, no, team. I don't want to hear that yet. No, 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 no. You're not... No, 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 no. I'm going to okay. take it back. I'm going to take it back because when we started speaking earlier, you said, you know, even right. when you were speaking to Solomon, you were um, almost the perfect guide um, based on your experiences and based on where you were coming from. So let me take it back to, you know, um, family where you grow, because we're trying to understand, and of course, we're trying to paint for the, the, the listeners, the little, the little things as well as the big things that help to shape and mold John as he was, you know, navigating through his, his, his journey. All right, this is definitely a, a walk on memory lane. Um, um, one of five kids, I have four <laughs> sisters, I'm the youngest, uh, the wash belly. Um, my mother was a dressmaker, well, is a dressmaker, she's still alive, um, and I think that was where a lot of some of the art came from because she she could sew anything. You could take a picture, yes. bring it to her, and she could sew anything. And I think I I grew up around that kind of everybody kind of jumped in. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody ironing, somebody hemming and stuff, that kind of stuff. Everyone had to participate in the cooking, in the washing, in the cleaning. Everybody had to participate. It don't matter oh. how big or small it was. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of helped um, foster this spirit of always contributing as a team no matter what you know if you're helping someone you're just gonna help someone all the way right um so so i think that experience and i think one of the things that my mom always said that resonates with me all the time is that um at the front of the house there was a, just a little grill at the front mm-hmm. and that's where she would just sit every evening the guy would come with a star. She'd read the star there, and people just walk past and say, "Well, go on, Mom B. Well, go on, you know, well, go on, Miss B. Well, go on, Miss D." Yeah. And she just sit there, you know, and just relax, take some fresh air. That's what a little fresh air moment. And I'd always try and go out there with her and stuff, and I'd sit, and she'd always say to me, "She's like, you see, everything beyond this fence, mm-hmm. beyond this grill, is 
a part of my reality. But hmm. she wants me to look beyond that. Oh, wow. She said, look beyond the fence. Look beyond Penn Street. Look beyond Slip Road. Look beyond. She'd always say, just keep looking beyond. Never let this reality that she had to live with. Be yours. She wanted to be a nurse. She always said that. She always wanted to be a nurse and never got to be a nurse. And she always used to say, just keep looking beyond. And did you Don't understand what she meant? Presently. Did you understand? Not at the time. Mm, when did it not when, I, not when she was saying it. I think once I got older and I'd go back, I'd always go back and visit my mom. Every time I come to Jamaica, I'd go and sit in that same place with her. Mm-hmm. She'd always sit out there. And I think it clicked then mm-hmm. that that's what she meant. What she was trying to say is she accepted her reality, but it was because she wanted us to Have find more. a better reality. Yeah. And so how did that help to shape you growing in terms of school and, and education? And, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up with my grandma. And for her, it was, I don't want to see you run up and down, you know, around the place that, no, you need to come in, you need to do your schoolwork, you need to get your education. Is that the same kind of structure you had? Because, I mean, this is a Jamaican Very- mom who wants you to do more and be more. Yeah. Very similar. She did kind of insist on that things. But because she was never a book person, mm-hmm. you know, so she always depended on my, my older sisters to help. But she did insist. And we were always sheltered in that space. As in, you, don't, you shouldn't go outside unless you have to. You're only going outside to do one thing and come inside. And I think what resonated with me was that every time I went outside, something happened. There was ah. some problem. I remember she's saying, don't go outside. And I went outside to just because I heard some knocking and uh, that was the excuse. I said, yeah, man, but mommy, someone outside knocking on something. And she said, is it bothering you? Why don't go outside? And I still went outside and there was a little boy with this long metal rod just hitting it on the ground and stuff. And I went out there, of course, being just... A boy. Mm, Yeah, sure. And I was like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that in front of our house? Why can't find somewhere else? And he did it and hit me on my big toe. Toenail gone east, blood everywhere. What? You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, so uh, those things, like when something like that happened, it just resonated that, you know, I'm a mom, of course, being the mother she is, she's going to, oh, come, you know, doctor, everything, but she's going to remind you. I told you. She's going to tell you that she told you. She's going to remind you. So, those things kind of resonated with me that, you know, listen to her. She's wiser than I think. You know what I mean? And she's doing it for my best interest. Interest. So, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. When you're growing in, a, in an underserved community, um, the, the, the children or the family that is creating structure and is trying to do everything to get out or to get the children out or to elevate, usually you stand out like a very sore thumb within the community. And sometimes that can go very well or that can go very badly. Did you ever feel like an outsider? Because here it is, everything is happening beyond the fence, but you had to stay in. And certainly, did the children tease you for that? I didn't experience much of that. I think because my mom was so popular, because she sewed all the uniforms for everybody (laughs) around her. So I didn't get much of that. Mm -hmm. Because of that, I think she, she, she kind of saved me from that. You know what I mean? Nice. So yes, I stayed inside, but everybody stayed inside. My sister stayed inside. We all did. You know what I mean? But 
when we did get a chance to outside shoot, we would be supervised. So she'd be out there with us while we're outside there. So I didn't get much of that because I knew all, I knew my neighbors on the left, knew my neighbors on the right, nice. and I'd, uh, I'd meet them when they, they come to get something and I'd talk to them and they're like, well, hello, where's your mother? And you go call her and come back. <laughs> I didn't get that, um, luckily. <laughs> But I did feel sometimes that I was out of place mm-hmm. in a way that she wanted us to do so much more. And we sometimes you can't figure out what that more is. Yes. Just, at that age, you're like, I think I'm doing enough. And she's like, no, you're not doing you have enough. no clue. You know what I mean? You're not even and You can't see it because you're not in the position to view it. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. You can't see it because you're not in that position. You know, I always refer to the analogy of when um, that's why there's a coach and there's a team because mm-hmm. you are on the field. So you can't see all the plays. The coach, his job is to see all the plays and say, no, you need to go on the flank. Switch that's this up, change this up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think our mothers were. We were. She was a coach. She could see everything. She saw all the plays. She was experienced enough. You know, so even if we fought back and said, but I don't want to do this. And I, she, she knew why you had to learn to do this. She knew no, Jamaican why mothers are the best. to do this. Jamaican mothers are the best. So I'm yes. assuming you would have done common entrance, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Best, the best examination um, in, in the world. I don't care how many times they change it. I'm going to say that common entrance babies are like the best babies <laughs> ever. So you are going over into high school now. And is it that you chose, Woolmers was the, the school for you? Yeah, I think because I had only sisters, there was no brother to emulate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think what happened was that my mom kind of guided my choice based on proximity to where we live. Woolmers was was within walking distance. You know what I mean? Casey and those stuff are a little downtown. Right. Further. So I think it was based on proximity more than anything else. Because I remember starting at Woolmers and walking to school. It was a, a... Looking back at it, it was fairly long, but <laughs> you know what I mean? When but, you're a child and yeah, you're taking the was, bus or you're walking, it doesn't seem that far when you're a child. But when you look it back, it doesn't seem go, that Whoa. far, you know what I mean? And I remember a lesson I learned about that is the response. No, I wouldn't say a responsibility. The fact that walking to school was a pilgrimage, you know what I mean? Mm. And I remember my father, his... Um, my sister had a baby and she, did, did, uh, she ended up going to Woolmer's prep. Mm-hmm. But my father would pick up my niece <laughs> and drive past me. You're lying. And he'd drop her to school and I'd walk still. Oh, but it's in the same space. It's Woolmer's prep. Same same direction. Woolmer's girls, Woolmer's Same boy. anything. Why? Same thing. I, From- he never told me why, but I assume what it was was to understand what it takes mm. to get something done. That walking was an important lesson for me to learn. Wow. That's deep. Did you, un- did you ever process it like that? Or Kindergarten. She a- can't walk from school. This is true. This is true. But as a, young, um, as a youngster, when you're processing things, um, things become apparent or evident when you get older. But at that point, time right. when you are young and inexperienced and, and immature you're naive that time, i think he was as a horrible human being and it was, yeah i thought it was just mean to me i thought so too but in retrospect looking back 
it was important that I learned that. Technical it, steps. It, 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 what it did was foster the proper use of time and what time is worth. To get up oh. early, you know how long it's going to take, you're going to walk and get there on time. And I've carried that with me from ever since to never be late for anything that I have to do, to factor in a buffer time, you know, of five or 10 minutes to make sure that I get there on time. Which is, which is a big problem that we see even in the professional space or even as a culture where people kind of take it for granted that we're on Caribbean time, we're on Jamaica time. Yeah. And, you know, we must expect events to start late and we expect yeah. professional, um, professionals to show up late. And we've kind of accepted it as a part of life when there are those of us who take our time and managing that time extremely yeah. seriously. But the sad part about that whole thing is that the reference of Jamaican time or Caribbean time is only done in the Caribbean and in Jamaica. Hi, hi, hi. No one else sees it that way. Hi, so hi, hi. if you're working for someone in the States or in Europe or anywhere else, no one is going to make that reference to you. They don't know what that is. That is insane. But what is interesting <laughs> is that even when we go abroad, though, but we, we fall in line, as in that, as, but as you rightfully said, even when we go abroad, we do not refer to ourselves in that, in that um, oh, way yeah. either. We actually show up and we do right. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think the biggest issue is for us to show up and be not just on time, but be early and professional I in think, our spaces? I regardless think of space. I think the challenge is, is there is no repercussion to be late. Hmm. That's the problem. There's no... Um, accountability. Accountability at mm -hmm. all. We, and we know that. So we just got your... It, uh, it, it's fine. It's going to be late. So what? Who, who going to complain? No one's going to complain. You know what I mean? I, when we fall into something else and we realize that we could lose our jobs, we could not be paid and all of those things, then yes. we kind of go, oh. But I remember many, oh, don't say many, because I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was doing a, I was asked to come and assist. Like someone said, hey, John, can you come and just look at something for us? I think it was some award show or beauty pageant and I kind of walked in and they just asked me for help right. and don't know I'm I say yeah man I'll just go and look and I go and look and they said what do you think and I said well you have to change this you need to change that we need to add some of that you need to add I remember the person and I still know the person he said to me where are going so I don't know big show mm. and, I, and I said to them everything that I touch is big everything oh, that I word. I'm involved in is big everything that I touch must be professional so if you're asking me for my help, I'm going to give you my professional advice. I'm not going to give you a watered-down version of it. Mediocrity you know I mean? does not exist. No, 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 no. I'm tired of the the of um, mediocre being the flavor of the month. You know, Jeez. it's just a thing where let's just do it just enough to pass and we're okay. <laughs> and I said that to him, and I was like, "Listen, I'm sorry, but you asked me for my help, and I'm going to give you. This is what this is the right way to do it." And, and if you want to cut big, corners, then I am not the person for you. Not the person to talk to. Sorry. Not the person. Find someone else. You know what I mean? And I think it's something that we have to fix. It's a generational thing. Hopefully, it will fade over time. Mm -hmm. But I always tell all my students and people that I, I am is that be the professional in the room. Yes. Even if no one else around you is being professional. Even if no one sees that you're being professional. Just be the professional in the room because one day hmm. someone's going to take a look and you're going to be the bright spark. And that's how it always happens. So I'm going to go back to high school. You are there 
Um, mm-hmm. Have you figured out, like in high school, most of us kind of have to figure out what we want to do or where our interests lie because we're getting ready for fourth form. You know, CXC, you kind of know, right. okay, TD, if I'm doing architecture, engineering, you know, but if I'm doing the sciences, I want to be you know, in the medical profession. At this time, you are in high school. You are in a creative family. Your mom, dressmaker, does everything in, in terms of any design you give her, she can do. You, you spoke about your dad earlier. You're clearly artistic. You spoke about your, your, your love of comics and how that might have influenced you. But what do you think is going to be your leaning in high school or coming out of high school? That was a hard one because at the time I didn't know. So, you know, you kind of just follow the path. You know, you do the sciences, you do a little of this, a little of that. And then you kind of realize that this is not working out for me. Me can't worry with me, this calculating thing not going to work and stuff. You know, but art was always there. So art and TV was always there. But leading up to CXC, I did not know what I wanted. So I kept art and I kept the TV and I just took another subject because you had to do X amount as the minimum and just never turned up for that exam. What do you mean you never turn up? I never turn up. Like, you know, they say you have to do six. (laughs) And I just picked English literature and I just never turn up. How do you explain that to your mother? Well, she knew. I told her. So hold and on, she wasn't me, upset. Hold on, John. So let me get this straight. So you, <laughs> you <laughs> survived even after you told your mother that you were not I showing did. up for an exam. I and I think, I, think I, I, think, I think why I survived is because she understood the struggle I was going through the whole time. So from first form, mm-hmm. my mom would talk all the time about what's going on at school. My, me and my dad didn't talk much about those things, but my right. mom was very interested. What are you doing? What, what, how are you doing with class? Let me see, you know what I mean? And she understood that I had a struggle with trying to decide what I wanted to do. But she mm-hmm. knew I had art. In other words, it's almost like she knew that art was going to be my fallback. Right. You know, in some way I could end up if all else fail, I could work with my father. And when I told her, I said, listen, I can't. They want me to do six and I can't do six. And I was like, I'm going to just pick a subject and not turn up. But do you know how blessed you are? Because I speak to a lot of youngsters all the time. I get direct messages on Instagram all the time with youngsters who are going through high school who sound just like you. They're saying, hey, I don't know what I like. I don't know what it is I want to do. And of course, they have so many more options now, right? Right. They're literally saying they don't know. However, for them, their reality is their parents telling them, you'd better do this. I'm paying for your school fee. I'm paying for these exams. You have no say once you live in my house. And so you have to understand how unique it is for you, for you, you to have a parent who recognizes what your issues are, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses lie, and support you right. where she had to and when she had to. That's amazing. I think, I think a big part of why my mom was okay with it was that um, she was never, unlike, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's going to be just an open statement, unlike other parents that were living their lives through their children hmm. <laughs> and trying to, to guide them the best way. And I understand that. I, I, that's, that's fine. You know what I mean? But my mom is a dressmaker. She wanted yes. to be a nurse, but dressmaking was what she could do and she did it well. So in, when I said to her, I don't know what I want to do. Art will always be there for me, but I can't be a doctor. That's just mm-hmm. not in me. And I can't be a, and, you know, art is my thing. Right. 
She said, sure, I'll support you in whatever you want to do. You just have to follow through with it. Ha. Huh. So she says, once you found your strength, commit. You just have to Dedicate. follow through with it. All right. Yeah, commit to it and make sure that that's what you're going to do. You know what I mean? And I remember going back to Ulmas many years, and this is a fast forward, many years, um, I got called randomly by Mrs. Chavans or one of the, some teacher saying, hey, we're trying to find um, other careers that people <laughs> are interested in. And they, they phoned my name through somebody that knew somebody. And she's like, can you come for careers day? And I was like, right. sure, I don't have a problem. It'd be great. It'd be great to go back to my alma mater and kind of like, you know, and they stuck me into this, in the little chemistry lab in the back <laughs> with GIS and somebody else. GIS didn't even turn up. <laughs> you know, no other art, like GIS. Oh, God. Um, None of those, Karen Mack, none of those people was there. It's just me in a little room. All You know, the doctors and the lawyers, they all have the nice side of the building and stuff. Oh, and that's no. what it dawned on me mm-hmm. that, you know, when I watched people kind of stick their head in, like mother come in and stick her, She's like, what is this? And I said, oh, this is kind of more like the arts, you know, like, you know, television, you know, concerts, that kind of stuff. And she's like, okay, and she's gone. Oh, wow. But not a child stick their head in and say, what is this? Can I see? And it is later in the afternoon when they've perused everything now and it's kind of like, what else to look at? Right. What haven't, we, what haven't we seen? What haven't we seen? And that's when you get the little aha moments of, oh, wow, this actually exists. You know what I mean? How did right. you do that? How did you get into that? Blah, blah, blah. And of course, the first thing they ask is, how much money you make? Yeah. And I'm like, I make enough to live well. <laughs> right. So I'm not a doctor or a lawyer, you know. And, and I think my mother saw that in me, that she, she saw that if she built the right foundation, the house, the building will be strong enough to be succeed in anything that they do. Right. You know what I mean? And she was like, okay, if that's what you want to do, it's fine. We'll just, you know, just commit to it. Just All right. It. So you do your art, you do your TD. You said, yo, I'm not going to show up for that exam. What happens next? So next, <laughs> I finished school and um, I was like, well, I guess art is it. So I went to art school for... And hold on, hold on, hold on. What type of student were you? Were you like straight A's? Because sometimes when these stories come no. up and I meet the most amazing people, I like when they say... You know, I wasn't necessarily top of class or head boy or, no. you know, but, but no. Yeah, no, I was definitely not a straight A. I was like average B and C kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, get, I got A in art because I, I was good That's at your love. I was natural talent. Did it you know ever I mean? bother you? I could close my eye and paint. Did it ever bother you or concern you based on all of the emphasis that is placed on A's and A students that, you know, they get the best jobs and they have the best uh, transcripts going out there and they're the ones chosen for the jobs? Did you ever feel like, ooh? I didn't, I didn't think that far. I was still wow. in, in Arnett Gardens and Jonestown. It's hard to look beyond those walls, although your mother kept insisting that you do. It's hard. Because your reality is you're going to walk back into that same house and eat a small meal and sleep on a small bed and fight with your sister in the morning because there's only one shower and one of us have to go bed outside. The reality still exists. So it was hard to look beyond about transcripts and A's and college. You know what I mean? My mom insisted, but 
I didn't think I didn't think I did a good job looking ahead at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, looking back at it, I was like, no. So that's why at the end of high school, end of manly art school was just the next thing. Was just, right. It was a natural father, progression. Yeah, my father at that point said he's like, yeah, I'll pay for it because it's art. You know what I mean? And I did. I think I did six weeks. I think that was as much as I could take. What do you mean, John? What do you? Mean? I, I did four. I think I did six weeks because I think what was hard for me was, I guess, because my father was such an um, strict on the art part. You know what I mean? I I draw and paint every Saturday, Sunday. I paint on Saturdays and I draw on Sundays. It was mandatory. I had to draw something every Sunday and I had to paint something every. So when I got to art school, I felt weird. I was like. They were telling me to do things that I do every Saturday and Sunday. Right. I was like, okay, yeah. All right, I will paint this still thing. Okay. Were you bored? I think I was, I wouldn't say bored, more disinterested because there was nothing to challenge me Mm. immediately. I think I would be challenging like the second year, but going in at that point, there was nothing to challenge me. So I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to do this then. (laughs) John, I like the fact that you just kind of make up your mind, say you're not going to do nothing, you don't show up for the exam, you just say Yeah, my father was like, <laughs> my father was like, then he's like, don't talk to me again then, because that's what I was going to pay for. And I think at that time, though, it was kind of like two-sided. I was already kind of like slightly involved in the arts with little people and stuff, performing on stage. So I was still trying to find myself there, plus the art school thing, which didn't work out. So I was like, all right, well, so I got a job. Because my father's like, well, you have to get a job. Mm-hmm. So I got a job at, I think the company was called Renegade Designs. They were, they designed t-shirts. How old would you have been at this time? I think I would be like, I'm guessing, because I was a year, I think I might have been a year early. So this was like maybe 17, 16. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was like a, they just wanted someone to draw designs. So it was easy. It was easy. You know what I mean? I did that every day. You know what I mean? So, but I did learn the art side of it, which is, you know, composition and negative space. How much were you paid? It's on the shirt. How much were you paid, John? I Your first remember. job. I, kept, I asked everybody, like, you know, how much were you paid? No for your recollection. <laughs> no recollection. I have no recollection of how much money I made. But I think it was probably fair at the time. Because wow, really? my mother would have made me do it. You know what I mean? But at that time, I say I was more interested in the art stuff because I was that experience with Kathy Levy and that's what opened my eyes to other things. And hold on, for persons who don't know, because you mentioned little people and you also mentioned the fact that you had found the drama club in high school. Yeah. And so, and so I just want to connect the dots between your drama, the drama school or the drama club and then morphing or stepping into Little People, which was an amazing um, theater with youngsters head by yes. the great Kathy Levy. Right, absolutely. And I think um, kudos to her. I can't thank her enough because it opened my eyes to things that I never experienced before, which is the art side of it, which is mm-hmm. I saw art on paper, but now I'm seeing art coming In off the ocean. Mm-hmm. Correct. So just by watch which she used to create and seeing it evolve from a script rehearsals 
costumes and makeup, then lighting and audio, and then seeing it on stage to see that progression from just this little word on a paper. How did you get into the little people? It was a rare, it was a random thing. I think what happened was when we're doing the the tree thing for <laughs> the school of for the the drama competition. She was scouting for people at the time, so she went to all of the plays, and then she'd invite you to come on audition after. So she invited all of us to audition at the time, including and the I tree. Michael, yeah, Michael Harris, Michael Holgate. There were like a couple of us, and we went to audition at that time. So. And I didn't do great in the audition, but enough to get in. You know what I mean? Wow. So, um, and I think my focus kind of changed a little because I was like, oh, this is nice. This acting thing is kind of cool. Maybe that's what I want to do. And then my mother gave me that talk again. <laughs> She's like, you have to commit to something. Mm-hmm. Maybe is that what you want to commit to, but you have to commit to something, you know? And I think that kind of went concurrently with, high school and CXEs and stuff. And I remember when we got around to the CXE part, uh, my mom sat me down and said, she knows I like that, the acting and stuff and thing, but she have to get serious yes. with the studies. And she's like, you have to choose. And I said, it's hard to choose. Can I do both? And she's like, no. And I was like, if I show you how I can do both, will you make me do it? And she's like, Maybe. But you're gonna have to. So we made an we made an agreement that mm-hmm. I wouldn't perform on stage, but I could definitely still work on the shows. Wow! So I kind of sneak in a one piece in the <laughs> show, like a one part, but I would only work backstage, you know. But that's when the next light bulb kind of kick in because now I'm seeing the other side of the operation that I've never seen before. Sorry? Right, no, no, you're seeing production. No, you're seeing the production yes. from, from I'm behind seeing the, the magic. Scenes. I'm seeing how the magic is created. You know what I mean? And I kind of got to experience all of it, you know, from makeup to costume to set, you know, being in the ward theater and being backstage and seeing the drops go up and down and lighting cues happen and audio things happen. That's where the bug kind of started to bite. All right. So you were saying before, here it is, you're working with this company called Renegade and you're, you know, you're falling in love or, 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 or experiencing, you're getting experience in terms of scale and design and putting this on the shirt yep. and what have you. So um, did you transition from that into another job that was more geared towards the lighting and the stage or, or did you continue to do design on paper? No. Actually, no. I think Renegade maybe lasted like a year because I think what happens is that the owner either migrated or something mm-hmm. and the shop closed up and stuff. But by that time, there was also a transition from Little People to Ashe, ah. which is Joseph Robinson and stuff. And that's where things kind of made a twist for me because at that time, Joseph Robinson, God rest his soul, was more interested in us being paid as artists. Yes. So we were getting older and he was off that thing to say, hey, you guys are getting older. We could create an ensemble that we could get, you know, there could be income coming from us because what Kathy was doing was we're kids, we're enjoying it, but now we're, you know, teenagers. You have responsibilities. Yeah, you, you have, have responsibilities little wants and, and, and needs. And it's funny you should say that because Ashe has become that. Like Ashe is the go-to 
um, ensemble when in right. terms of storytelling, singing, dancing, theater, drama, and they have right. been, I mean, covering the globe because of how amazingly professional they are. Right, and that's where I learned a lot more of the professional side, and I can I have to credit mm-hmm. Mr. Robinson. Yes, for the turn into the get to lighting because mm-hmm. that's he was the one that kind of said you can do it and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> you know what i mean i remember it like yesterday we're performing we're doing this um we're doing this production i think it's called vibes mm-hmm. teaching sexual health and you know sexual prevention and sexual disease and teaching us to teenagers so they are aware of what this world is. You know what I mean? So we ended up doing shows around the Caribbean and we ended up in our first theater show. All the other shows were outdoor, high schools, yes. auditoriums, that kind of stuff. But now we ended up inside the Frank Collymore Hall in Barbados. Yes. I remember it like yesterday. And we get in and it's this beautiful building. I mean, amazing. I mean, the chairs, the curtain, and I, it's so vivid. The colors of everything, the smell of the theater, the ghost light being on stage. I remember all of those things. Wow. And we started rehearsing and they're like, okay, um, sound is pretty easy. We're going to do this, 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 but we need someone to worry about the lighting cues. And, and then I'm like, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? And then Joseph Robinson volunteered me. He said, John can do it. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, you know the show. You know the show very well. I was already kind of partially technically getting into that from my experience working backstage and stuff like that. So they kind of took me out of all my parts except one part. And I'd sit in the lighting booth with the lighting technician. I would go through every scene. Okay, this is night. This is morning. Focus is on there. Focus is there. Blah, blah. We did the show. And then I'd get dressed in costume, I'd sit with him, I'd leave for my little scene, I'll go out and do my little one line, and then I'd run back up and finish the show. And then that was the introduction to the art of lighting. That kind of like, the big, the big bulb went off in my head that this is amazing. Wow, and it was simply because Mr. Robinson volunteered you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have to give him part of the credit because mm-hmm. I think um, I think the universe would have always brought me there. Okay. But he kind of pointed at that point right then and there. Because there are other parts of the journey that kind of led me further and led me further. But that was the kind of the first step of kind of like, this could be something I could do. Right. This is what could have dropped in your soul. And you're right. They said that the universe always conspires. Like once you have established that this is what you want, somehow all the little steps and all the little people along the way kind of help to to keep you on that track. So here it is. You do this and you go, whoa. Yo, I mean, this, you know, it feel, it feel right. How, you know, how do you continue to navigate? Yeah, I think it was a thrusted on me at that point. It was like, like you doing lighting. It's your baby. You know what I mean? So we continued doing tours and shows and coming back to Jamaica and rehearsing and stuff like that. Um, There is a little missing chunk of the story there. Mm. I ended up, um, because of all the traveling, I ended up um, getting kind of like a partial scholarship, I would say. There was, you know, we would do these shows around the U.S. and stuff and we'd get um, people that were just interested in helping us to do other things, you know what I mean? 
and there was this gentleman um, who was interested in helping kind of like pay for some scholarships for some of us. And I got a part of that, you know, you it was only a two calm. year. Yeah. What do you mean? It was only two years. You said that so calmly, John, <laughs> I would have been screaming up and down because I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, remember daddy say you burn up your money for Edna Manley. Yeah, uh, money. So can't you, you can't it's go back to that. Yeah. Correct. And so you can't afford have, it. Right. And to have this opportunity just kind of present itself is, it's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. I ended up going to Nassau Community College in New York and I did an associate degree in technical theater. So that's kind of where all the skills were honed properly. And then at the end of that, because I didn't have a, I didn't have a plan beyond that. I knew if I wanted to do that, I came back to Jamaica and I went back to Ashe. They took me back kind of like as a tech and I was like head you know technical director for a little while helping out do all these shows and stuff and this is where the story makes an interesting turn i'm so while i'm there while i'm there um the national dance theater of london i might be messing up the name but they came to do a show yes and they did a show at the ward theater and of course joe robinson know all of these people i got introduced to this lady called emma i don't remember her last name British lady, she was a stage manager for the show. Yes. And she came to kind of like revise, kind of help us with our technical department. So I worked with her for a couple, I think like a week or two. And she kind of helped us kind of organize stuff, you know, make, making, putting together inventory, blah, blah, blah. And she said to me after one of the shows, she's like, I said, you like lighting and stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And she's like, um, I know somebody that I could introduce you to that I think, you know, would help you develop that skill. And I was like, where, as like here in Jamaica, she's like, yeah, in Jamaica. And I was like, okay. And she's like, all right. She made a phone call and she's like, all right, meet me at National Arena Saturday, 10 o'clock. All right, fine. 10 o'clock, turn up. It is seem as if you're thinking much about it. You're just kind of going along with the flow, whatever. Like, I have nothing to lose, whatever. Uh, exactly. At, that, at this point, you know what I mean? Anything will, will get to get me into the next step. I'm willing to try. So let's just, I mean, what is that? A, I suck at it or I'm good at it. So I'm going to just turn up. So I turn up. And then Emma introduces me to John Swaby. Wow. <laughs> Big ups to John Swaby. Just like that, like literally. John Swaby, meet John DaCosta. Young man, know him, very good at lighting. And John's, John, John Swaby, Swaby says to me, oh, nice to meeting you, but we chat for a little bit and stuff. We introduced with some of the crew guys. They were loading in a show that, for that night. Yes. It was Helen Baylor, gospel singer. And he says to me, okay, that's really good. I'm, 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 I can't wait. And I was like, yes. And he goes, you want to work? No. And I go, what? I was like, yes. And he's John, like, okay. Hold on, John, John, John. At that point in time, did you know who John Swaby was? No, no idea. No. Because I'm no looking idea. at you, because that's like, that's like meeting, if we're looking at industry, right? That's mm-hmm. like meeting the Oprah of the industry and being like, yeah, yes. sure. You know, if Oprah yes, says, I, I did not you, you want me no, to? No idea who I was talking to. No idea. I literally was just saying, oh, sure, I'll work. I'm ready to work. I just jumped in. Was there any fear? Um, minute. Minute. But nothing that would stop me. Because at this point, 
it was more about learning than anything else. Hmm. And I always say, if you're willing to learn, fear will always go away. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Can you just say that? Can you just say that one more time, please? <laughs> if you're willing to learn, fear will always go away. Yeah. So I was just in my mind, I was like, I'm going to learn so much today. I'm ready to go. Let's go. And I just jumped in. I started talking to the guys and they're like, okay, I said, how can I help? I'm new. Show me everything. And they just, you know, they were very open armed. They were like so cool. They're like, yeah, man, pull this cable over there. So blah, 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 stuff. But where the trick happens now is halfway kind of like we're getting closer to showtime now. Yes. And all of this, we're all set up and I'm helping them focus lights and stuff. And we get to that point now where we're like, okay, almost time for show, almost time for the doors, people to come in. I mean, I wouldn't know what doors are, but I'm just saying. <laughs> almost time for the audience to come in and they all kind of go, so, so you go around the board, you know. I was like, what? What do you, do you mean? He was like, yeah, you go around the board, man. And I'm like. John, no, seriously, you have to explain to me <laughs> what was going through your mind. Like, did you think they were pranking you? <laughs> Fear was absent for the setup, but fear had a number and fear number was called and fear was back up. Fear was like, yep, I'm back. <laughs> so that's how now I was like, because this is the, as I said before that, I'm just learning how things work in uh, interconnection. How this works, okay, dimmers, okay, three color. I'm learning, park hands. You know, you can't put two on one because it's 1200 watts. I'm learning. It's like, great. And then now the realization that now you have to go do the physical lights for the show. Wow. And I was like, okay. So I jumped on the console. Luckily at that time, the, the, the structure of those lighting consoles were so similar. Mm-hmm. And the syntax was very similar. So very easy to just, you know, you lay out all your colors on the top and you could make groups. And you just read, have a little note on it. It will say, bring up all this, hold this button, hold that. And I figured it out and I got it all done. And I did the show, not knowing that Swaby was actually watching half of the show. Because I knew they said to me they had another show, like King's House or something. So he was bouncing between. You so show no. happened, show finish. But you see now, John, am. hold on, John. You see, but this, is, this goes back to what you said, you know, when you get an opportunity, you get a little work, whether it's a little work, a middle work, a big work, you are to mm-hmm. do it to the best of your ability. Yep. You are to dedicate, you are to commit, you are to focus, and you are to be as excellent as you can be. And you do it for yourself. Correct. You never know who is watching. They just benefit from you doing well. And look at how just by operating with good work ethics, even as an apprentice, yep. you are being watched. Mm-hmm. I did not know. I had no idea. I just did the best show I could do because that's all I know. I knew that you just do the best you can every single day. If you can't do, get as close to your best as possible. And he watched the whole, he watched half of the show. I didn't know. I did not know until after. Yes. The show finished. I helped them pack up and I'm like ready to go home. And I see him. I was like, hey, Thanks for the experience. Cause I thought it was a one-off like, Hey, I just went to this. And you know, if I, if I see him again, it's great. If not, you know what I mean? And John he, is a joker. John, you're he a didn't joker. really told me the story at the point about how the show was. Cause that's just John Swaby. He, he'll never, um, he's man a few words. Few words. Mm-hmm. Tell you. So, um, but that was the start of this amazing relationship between me and him where, that's how I got that. There's a name people call me. They call me Little John 
and it came out of me and him kind of like working on so many shows beyond that. Yes. That the crew gave me the name because they would say John and both of us would turn Look. around. So someone would say, all right, Liquor John, you're a new name Liquor John, so that they, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be confused. And I got that, that name, and that stuck with me all these years. And we did so many shows together, so many shows. And they're getting yeah. bigger and bigger, and you're getting more and more exposed, and you are learning more and more. What is the biggest switch between your, the way you think, maybe your personality, between the days where you were just kind of going along with the flow, you like it, but you're kind of just doing things one day at a time versus now working with the likes of John Swaby, being more exposed. What is like your biggest shift that you I experienced? Think the, I think the biggest shift was the scale of it because I was just thinking, my, oh, it was just me and my little Ashley on a stage and we're doing these little shows, little lights, but now the scale was exponentially getting bigger and bigger and the people and the responsibility in your hands. Because mm-hmm. now I'm moving to um, Kirk Franklin and Kirk Franklin Singers inside oh, Cinema yes. 2. And we're doing these big shows. And I am responsible now because the more I learned is the more I developed the skill of putting it all together. So John will say to me, we have Kirk Franklin next week. What do you need? I can give you a 60K. Well, sorry. Let me say it so that people understand. I can give you 60 parkans or 100 parkans. Right. Um, but we say K because they're kilowatts and we just round it off. Right. But we say, so you say, I give you one, 100. I give you a up and mid. What are you thinking? How many moving lights? And then, so I started learning quickly how to put things together real quick. And quantify and, then, and have a bigger um, exactly. view. And correct. And then also a big part of it was now, I was more, I wouldn't say a leader, but, you know, working with a team of guys. Yes. So you have to find a way of being the anchor of all of them, mm-hmm. listening to their issues that they're having. And, you know, they might complain, I'm hungry. Okay, I need to fix that. So we Correct. can move on. I need to fix this, you know. And being a team player, so you ended up getting respect because you were a team player versus a team leader. You know, you know it's I mean? very interesting because it may seem very simple, but it's extremely profound. A lot of persons become very defined and very focused on what it is they do, which is fine. It's very important for us to always hone our craft and to try to be the best at what we do. Right. What a lot of persons uh, fail to realize is that you have to be so much more when you are working on something big, which requires you to collaborate and delegate and work in teams. So now you can't just hone your craft and be good at it, but you also have to know how to communicate with people, how to be an effective communicator. How do you motivate? How do you mobilize? How do you mentor? If you can't pull all of these things together, you could be very good at what you do, but then the entire thing falls to pieces because the entire body is not working seamlessly. I think the biggest thing that I'd make, biggest point I'd make is that you have to be the biggest listener. Hmm. But sometimes you end up not listening. You just end up re- either answering or repeating. Yes. So someone comes with your problem, you have to answer them or you repeat the problem back to them, which doesn't help. So I learned a lot by listening to everybody because it made me better because they were seeing some things because I'm still green. Mm-hmm. So if my electrician comes to me and says, John, we have a problem. Okay, what's the problem? 
boy, I think we're going to overload this side and we might need to, to, to fix it or we need to spread it out. You can't put so much lights here. Yes. Okay, let's... We, what, do you, what do you think? And we discuss it as a me and him and we'll work it out. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I will move on to the next problem. You know what I mean? And I learned a lot. And I try my best to still have that, that facility to, to say to my guys, if you have a problem with anything that I'm doing, give me your input. Come to me and say something. If you <laughs> see something that looks odd or you're not even sure why I do it, come and question me. Come to me. And if you know me, and if you know anybody that works with me, I'm always willing. I will stop whatever I'm doing to explain why I did it that way or to understand what they're saying. And I try and keep it that way because it makes me stronger. Because now I have not only two, but I have 20 eyes looking at things. And be comfortable and being comfortable knowing that they can come to you without there being any condescending or, you know, attitude towards them. Right. And I think for me also, a big thing is that I think I try and make the people that I work with become investors in the project that I'm hmm. working on. Yes. Because they if they're investors in the project of it, they will want it to succeed. As much so I make as sure everybody from the guy pulling the cable to the guy bringing the generator, they're invested in this working and working well. So I want them, if they see something, come to me and say, hey, I'm not sure if that's going to work where you put it. And I was like, really? Let's go take a look at it. And we'll walk over there and look at it. Mm-hmm. And you explain to me why. And I would, you know, and I mean, I must say, it's not every time I'm going to change, but sometimes I want to listen because there might be a value, be value. somewhere that I missed because of ignorance or because, oh, I know everything. I know everything. No, it's, I know everything. There's no reason for me to listen to what you have to say. It, it's funny you should say that, John, because just about two weeks ago, I hosted a leadership, a, a disruptive leadership conference. And there was another John, <laughs> John De Silva, who is the CEO of Unilever. And he was speaking about, the, his presentation was about the future of work. And one of the most profound things, I mean, his presentation was amazing. And one of my biggest takeaways was he said, the shift of him even being the CEO was coming in thinking, and a lot of leaders do this, they come in thinking they have all the answers and that they can provide all the answers. And he says, very quickly, you realize that if you want your business to be viable and sustainable and profitable, you realize you will not have all the answers, but that you need to be around the right people Mm -hmm. to ask the right questions. He said, because if you ask the right questions, there will be people around you to furnish you with answers that you would not have had on your own. And I thought it was one of the biggest takeaways that just came to me when you said, I won't have all the answers. And that's cool. So as you're moving to bigger and bigger events, you know, you're saying, Hey, you know, I'm green, but you know, you're green, but you're, you're doing Kirk Franklin. I don't know how green you might've been to end up doing Kirk Franklin, but, (laughs) but no, you know, at what point do you now say, you know, I'm no longer green. Like I am, I'm a professional. I'm an expert. At, at what level or maybe at what show are you now covering where you realize, okay, yeah, man, I'm me. I think, I think I've, I've, that's a tricky one because I think I ne- I've never thought that way. I've always thought that there's always something else to learn. Mm. And the technology that we use in this side of the industry is constantly evolving. Yes, like if I could show you my desk here, there's like 
a computer, there's a console, there's so many, and I'm constantly um, referencing articles or referencing some information on the internet just to keep abreast. So I, I don't think I'll ever call myself um, that I know it all or that I've crossed over, but I think the turning point in my career was once I started doing the big festivals, the jazz and the Sumfest, I was a second, which means yes. there were these Americans that would come down under the festivals and I would represent John Suebe's crew and be kind of a second in command. Right. But not necessarily command anything. I was just a, I would call a, I would say a, a hybrid translator. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, they'd have all the plans yes. and I'd kind of like just interact with the crew and get them to do what they need to happen. But I think they saw that I was more than just this guy that this just, conduit yeah they thought that i was more than a conduit and then there was one year where they had an issue with the containers coming in time for something and um something didn't come and they had to go back to the drawing board and they yes. invited me to the table which was the first time i was invited to the table so they invited me and said hey we're going back to the hotel to revisit this lighting plot can you come with us and kind of help us through it because I kind of had us know what was on the island, knew what we had. What's the capacity? Three mm-hmm. of us kind of sat down and started crossing out things and said, all right, can we move this there? And I would jump in and say, no, we're going to have a problem with that. And that's where their eyes kind of opened and said, hold on, he's more than just what we thought. Because they didn't, I mean, they don't question. They only come once or twice a year. So there's exactly. no time for a, a conversation of, Oh, I have an associate degree. Or, oh, uh, you know what I mean? They just come, do the show, and leave. So I think that's where that kind of it, it kind of slightly as I turn on this long bend yes. of my career because at one point they started giving me more responsibility on the design side. So they'll say, ah. "Hey, here's the stuff. Can you enumerate? Make sure all the patches are right and stuff." And then sometimes they'll go, "Here's a part of the design. Finish it up for me, please." Blah blah. blah. And they'd kind of like port off things until eventually they'd start me. I'd start doing one or two acts. And that's trust. And that's trust. That is when exactly someone has trust. earned yeah. trust by showing that there is a value here that you can delegate, you can offload, and I will be, I, I'll take care of it. That's, that's trust. But that trust doesn't Correct. come unless you've earned that's it through hard, consistent work. Correct. Correct. Yes. And that trust comes when it's, when it's time. It's not going to turn up before it's time. Hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I spent my time kind of like working through jazz after jazz and sunfest after sunfest until I got the opportunity when they wanted me to go somewhere. And this is another side story because there's a Sean Paul story too. But they wanted me to go somewhere to do, to assist them with a festival in the Caribbean. But for some reason, I don't remember if I couldn't go or there was some financial reason why they didn't want to take me. And then at some point, um, the guy was like, listen, I'm not coming back. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what no, I asked him to take you and it didn't take you and I'm really upset so I'm not going to come back. You, you can do the festivals now. You're more than capable. And I'm like, they'll never let me do it. And he's like, it's fine. I'll get them to do it. So my first jazz festival, I have to design it on my own, but the promoters were like... Yeah, but it's a tremendous gift. Like, not, I mean, not even a gift. It's not like he was giving you something for free because you earned it. 
But for somebody to say, yo, let me give up on this. Um, you know, let me yeah. just pass this off. That is huge, John. Huge, huge. And I think the biggest part of it was that they didn't, the promoters and the producers didn't trust that gift yet. So they were like, oh, we're not sure. He's never done anything this size before, blah, blah, blah. And the guy was like, um, he was like, okay, okay, okay. I'll supervise it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll supervise it. And they're like, okay, once you supervise and you, and you sign off on everything. <laughs> Something tells me the guy never supervised you. <laughs> never supervised me. He never no, supervised no. you. <laughs> yeah. He just want, he, it was to be comfortable. He was like, John, you're fine. You're quite fine. If you want to send me anything, send me. And I did send it to him. And he's like, this looks good. You're fine. You know, yeah, and uh, like every good mentor, he says, remember, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to do this. Yeah, but John, here's the thing though, and I just, I just always interject every now and then because you see, again, what I see there, because a lot of people like when persons will put them head on blocks for people, people want people to write recommendations and references and people even get offended when people respectfully decline to write references and recommendations. And I have to pull people up a lot of the times and say, listen, when I recommend you, when I drop a reference, when I hand something off to you, or I tell somebody, yo, this person is the perfect person. When you do not deliver, it speaks badly about my brand integrity and my brand credibility. You, you ruin that. And so what people need to understand is that you don't get people doing that level of um, putting their head on a block and going the distance and going the mile for you if you have not shown them over a period of time by being yep. constantly and consistently excellent at what you do, period. Yeah, I got um, a friend of mine was doing an Instagram thing recently and he said to me, one of the questions they asked that I should answer was like, um, is there anyone that you'd like to, you know, say thank to or, you know, that you'd, you know, mentor through stuff? And I said, if I, if I picked out one person, mm-hmm. then that would be unfair of everybody because I am standing on everybody's shoulder. That's how I got to where I am. I'm standing on everyone's shoulder. They lifted me, put me on their shoulder for me to stand and make, take it to the next step. So I can't pinpoint, I can't pick out one person mm-hmm. because that's how I got to where I am. I'm standing on their shoulders because they invested in me. So, you know, but yeah, so back to the story now. So, um, so I did it. I did the first job and jazz and it was great. It was great. Yes. Did the next one was great. Did the next one was great. You know what I mean? And it worked out good. Um, the experience was good. Um, it was a, it's a little challenging because you are trying to balance money yes. and equipment. Expectations and, and equipment. all the time to go, mm-hmm. okay, can't spend too much there, can't spend too much there, can't spend too much there. But at the same time, I have to make sure that the integrity... This is, hold on, you just broke up. But the important in- to me. The hold integrity on, of the production... Yeah. I want to make sure that the integrity of the production is higher than any in anywhere else in the world. I want wow. performers to come and artists to come to Jamaica and say, oh my God, I never knew something like this would happen in Jamaica. Wow. And I got it. And I got it. And I got it to the point that no, the, one of the biggest production companies in the world 
let me say that one of the biggest production companies in the world that we get most of our equipment from they don't send anybody with the equipment anymore they used to they used to send two or three technicians they send nobody wow so we'll get millions of dollars of lighting equipment and every person that works on putting up those equipment are all jamaican technicians wow put up, put up safety do the show pack it back up and send it back that's brilliant that is brilliant so when you see those sons fest and stuff it's a hundred percent jamaican that's beautiful the only person that comes is the sales guy and it's because he wants jerk chicken <laughs> he wants jerk chicken <laughs> who doesn't want jerk chicken though who doesn't want jerk chicken? yeah man he comes he loves jerk chicken his name is marty he's like john everything's fine i was like yeah, everything's good i was like okay i'm back at the hotel i'm gonna get some chicken you want me to bring you something <laughs> he just comes for the show he loves the experience of the show he loves the people he knows the crew right he, he just comes for because he's been coming from over 10 10 maybe 15 years yeah you know that's amazing so but but you hold on you mentioned something about sean paul so then yeah so that is a side story now that's when the, the big ben happens now because by that time i was doing all of these shows yes i was working kind of like i was doing a little of everything i was doing stuff with Lakadco. i was doing stuff with seretsi small i was just doing stuff because you know i'm i like working and doing things and um Seretsi at the time was playing for Sean Paul. He was a guitarist. And he yes. said to me one day, like, nice he's like, time. hey, amazing. He said to me, hey, you know, Sean Paul is looking for a lighting director. And I'm like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> I was like, me? <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, he's like, yeah. He says, they're to- he's like, they're tossing it up between a lighting director and a stage tech. And I was like, all right, if you can, can you get me the email? I can send something. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I can find. And he gave me like, I think two or three emails. And I emailed like a little introductory letter introducing yes. myself and a resume. And this was like, I would say, the story still had like a great to me, some parts of it, but I think it was like in July yes. I sent it. And I just kept sending it every month. When I remember, I just sent it again and sent it again and sent it again and sent it again. And I didn't get a response until like, Maybe like three, four months later, I got a response. And the response was very short. It's like, hi, John. Hope you're well. We have received all your emails. <laughs> and we're so sorry to take so long, but they were touring. They were touring. They were on this long tour. So it wasn't that they were ignoring me. They just didn't have the time to kind of like, so I guess it got forwarded to someone and they just responded. Right. And then we kind of set up a little, they wanted to set up a little, little interview and then something happened they had like a shoot or something and then they rescheduled and then they actually had the interview so it was me sean paul was there i think jeremy his manager at the time and um headline guy um, were you nervous jerome yes jerome hamilton i was nervous it was i haven't been that nervous in a long time and this is you who have been doing big i mean you've worked with foreigners you've worked with big production companies yeah. you've been doing what we would consider to be the biggest productions in the island in terms of you know entertainment yes. and concert and like this is big stuff but you were right. nervous. But I, I was still nervous i was still nervous because i was i think at that point i was still a little unsure of the brand john lacosta yeah i know i had to sell the brand to someone else that they didn't know me mm-hmm. they just read this email and this resume and they asked some 
poignant questions during the interview, stuff that had me had to think really hard. And one yes. of the questions they asked was like, why, why most Jamaican shows, the artists are dark on stage? Whoa. And I had to quantify that and go, shirt. <laughs> I can't do every show and not every show I do. So some shows going to look a certain way. And so I explained, I said, I explained to them, I said, you know, a lot of the companies here just don't have the spending power to buy certain equipment. So you'll get, you know, a company that's doing the best with what they have. Correct. You know, there's certain logistical things because the science and the physics of lighting isn't apparent to them. So they, they just know, put this up, turn it on, it work. You know, and I explained, and I guess I explained it fairly well. And eventually they gave me a, uh, I got a call a couple months later saying they were doing a, they were doing a show for Smirnoff out at, I think it was the go-kart track out at airport or something. Yes. Smirnoff was launching their ice series with a bottle. Yes. And stuff. And, but I had already got the job to work for. You froze. Well, call for you, froze. I, for you froze. I had already the, gotten the job for. That's what you, I had gotten. Yeah, I already had gotten the job for the show itself to work for the production company that was doing the show. Uh, so when they called me, they're like, hey, we'd like to hire you to do this show. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm already doing the show. There's no reason for you to hire me. Just send me the music and I'll learn it. So they sent right. me the music and I learned the show. And I have to give credit to Delano Forbes of Phase 3. Because yes. Delana was a good friend of mine, so I chat with Delana and said, hey, I this need is to big enough. this thing because it's an it's, it's a, a, a entry exam, this show, <laughs> you know? And we spoke and him see, he tossed in a couple of cameras for me. He's like, I, I can do a lock off here. I said, yeah, man, that'd be good and stuff and thing. And I did the show. Didn't hear anything back from them. How did that make that you feel? Fun. How did that no, make that you feel? Like, that was a sort of a dramatic pause. I didn't hear anything back from them for a little while. I don't then, like you, John. I do not like you. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was probably the show was like Christmas time and then like another two or two weeks, I got a call from them and they invited me to the office and they showed me the highlights reel from the show, which yes. that was the scary part. Cause they're like, Hey, we just want you to watch this and I played it and I'm And like, you'll have no idea where it's gonna head. I have no idea because I'm like I said but in my mind, I was like, it can't be bad because it was bad. They just call me and tell me how bad it was. But this would be like, like flogging, you know, at this point. It's like, it's bad. I want you to watch it. You, I want you to experience how bad this was. How bad this was. But I watched it. It wasn't long. It was, I think I still have a copy of it somewhere. I watched it and I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, oh, that looked too bad. It's okay. And, and they said it was one of the best wow. things there they've seen or coming out of Jamaica, like they've, they've done one of wow. the best quality they got. So they were very impressed and they were like, they were like, um, uh, John, you're just way too calm for me. You didn't want to pop your collar. Well, maybe you wouldn't have done it in front of them, but you, it no, was one I, of those I, things I did, where... I did. When I left, I was a little excited. <laughs> I did leave. You never somersault in your head. No, sir. You calm. You too calm. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. But if you know me, you realize that I don't really get overly. No, you're like super quick, calm. So. Yeah, you're yeah, like super calm. Yeah. Um, and that they asked me to get my passport. I think in another week or two, couple, uh, maybe a few weeks later, we ended up going to Japan. Just it was like my that. first tour with them. 
just like that. Simply just because like that. you were great at what you did and you delivered, you met expectations or surpassed expectations. And now people are like, well, if you did this, let's go. Let's yeah. go conquer the world. Yeah. And that's why I said to everybody, be the professional in the room. Someone's watching. Someone's always watching. So as you are going along, I mean, you're, you're now, and I, and, I, and I keep on telling people that when you're very good at what you do um, and your name starts to come up in rooms long before you even enter them, you know, people yeah. say, hey, I know a guy or you saw that show, that guy, your yeah. name starts to pop up in conversations, in emails, and you physically have not even entered the room yet. So it's only natural that here it is, your territory is increasing. And each time you go and you deliver, your territory increases. So you are with Sean Paul now. How do you know? I mean, Alicia Keys, Mariah Carey, Maroon 5, those are big guys. Like, do you get nervous yes, each time? you didn't mention that I did a show for Jay-Z. How do you not mention that? Oh, my God. <laughs> John, I do not like you. Uh, Hold on, John. Hold on, John. Let me calm down for my listeners for a second. I did Hold P, on. Uh, P. Diddy, Maxwell... Okay, John. Okay, John. As you uh, so calmly rock your head to the side as if... John. <laughs> John. Okay, let me ask yes. you this. When you are contacted... Well, let me ask you this. Is it that you continue to reach out, like how you had reached out with Sean Paul and you were persistent and you were like, I'm, I, you know, I'm just going to keep on sending my emails. Did you also do that with other artists or did this now become oh, a yo... This is Sean Paul. That was the so, first. Like lighting man, you know. That was, so. Yeah. That was the first and last time I actually did that. Blows and Blows and I've been asked for resumes, but that was just because the people don't know me. But I've never had to do that again. Because in this industry, there's two things that will always get you hired. You do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And you're an amazing person. Mm-hmm. So your attitude... And your aptitude. Those two things will get you anywhere in this field. And, and it can be as simple as um, you do a good job and you're super cool, nice to talk to. You'll help anybody Easy solve going. any problem. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's kind of how I've always done it. And I think if you meet the right people, they will be the advocators for you. Yes. So lots of my peers and people that I work with, they're recommending me for jobs. They're the one that's saying, hey, listen, this thing came up and I can't do it. I need you to go do this for me. Or hey, I mean, the Maroon 5 thing was one of those things where I was, I was on the, just finished up the Demi Lovato tour and the rest of the last part of the tour. So we started out in March and we ended in like July. Yes. We did the US and we did Europe and then something happened and she couldn't finish the rest of the tour. So it's cancelled. And I'm at home just chilling. Like, all right, it's cancelled. I'm going to just chill, see if something else pops up. And my friend, my my very good friend, he calls me and he goes, hey, I heard you're about your tour. Sorry about that. I was like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, so what are you doing? I was like, I hadn't booked anything yet. You're like, I'm chilling. But that's what I said. I'm I was like, I'm chilling. I haven't really looked for anything else yet. Um, what do you, what, what's up? And he's like, hmm, I think you'd be the perfect person. Can you cover Maroon 5 for me? And I oh, go, Jesus. what do you mean? That's what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I have a conflict. 
have a conflict and I can't do this tour. But I was thinking about who else and I think you would be the perfect fit. And I go, okay. Sure. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, okay. And he's like, all right, I'll start sending the music and stuff. Let me talk to management. He talks to management. He comes back. He's like, hey, you have a resume? I was like, yeah. He's like, send me a resume. Send it. And then we talk money. Hey, what does he think about X? I was like, mm, what about Y? He's like, all right, let me go to management. Come back. He's like, management, okay, and Y. Okay, good. Love. And then we started just emails back and forth and stuff. And then this is my favorite part of everything, though, when you walk in the first time. So yes. everything is good. Flew to wherever the first show rehearsal was. And I walk into the room, meet my friend Brian. Hey, Brian, oh, you know, come on, let's meet the guys. And I walk into the room and you can see, I can look in, I'm watching people's eyes. And none of them know me. They've never met me before. They're like, who is this dude? And it's an all-white crew, too. So... So they hear my name and they think I'm Spanish, Portuguese maybe. Da Costa. They don't know what to da expect. Da Costa. Claro que sí, para español, amor. <laughs> so they don't know what to expect. So I turn up and they're like, and I'm watching their eyes as they look at me. They go, it's like, hi, this is John. John's going to be LD for the tour, blah, blah, blah. Hi, Mike. And I meet everybody and stuff and thing and stuff. And I can tell. I'm looking around and say, okay, going. I'm in my back of mind, I was like maybe two or three shows before I can get them on my side, but it's fine. You know what I mean? But they're all professional now, but yes. you can tell they're like, they never work with me. So they're Correct. nervous because they're like, who is this, this guy? Mm-hmm. And can, he can this guy can do it? And of course, because Brian recommends me, they're like, yeah, man. Brian is like, yeah, we do the first show. Brian calls the cues. Then I do the second show. I call the cues and stuff. And by six eight weeks, we're done, and they don't want me to leave. That's why I say it's important. It's so important about how you treat people. How does that make you feel, though, John? Do you process that? I mean, you're a very calm person, but do you, like, when you finish a tour before you start another one, do you process... Of course I process that. It makes me feel... Mm. No, go. That's part of the question. How does it make you feel... No, I said, I do, I do process it. I process it and I think to myself, I've made myself proud. I've made my country proud. I've made my family proud, you know, and I want, because I have a moniker that I go by that I introduce myself as Jamaican John because it's very hard to, to gain an identity Yes. in this industry because everyone's either white <laughs> or there's like two other people named John on the tour. Correct. So I just, I, I use that all the time. I introduce myself. I put it on my radio, put it on my badge. And it, I want to leave a key that reminds them of who I am. So if I leave and they're telling a story about something, they can get, man, and the guy, yeah, what's the LD's name again? Yeah, the Jamaican guy. Yeah, it's Jamaican John. Oh, yeah. You know, there's something that keeps a memory. Oh, yeah. But and not only that, uh, subliminally, just very um, yep. very succinctly, what you're doing, and, and, and certainly psychologically, is you are associating great delivery, value, and quality Correct. with Jamaica. Mm-hmm. When, when they speak of this amazing production that was done or this amazing guy that was a great lighting director, it is associated with Jamaica. Yep. And that is something the Jamaica Tourist Board couldn't even pay for. 
May I tell right, you that? Exactly. Do you know how many people call me about vacation that they go into Jamaica after they met me and how they had a good time and where where should I go, John? I'm going to Jamaica. You have to be there when we go. Literally. All the time. So John, you have mentioned like, you know, working for the likes of like Alicia Keys and Maxwell and, and these guys. And you know, you're walking into these doors and I'm sure even though you're, you're, you have a very good command of, again, as, as you say, scaling, designing, quantifying, and even understanding these different artists, their personalities, their, what they want to see, you know, come off of a stage. Right. Jay-Z comes across your desk. How on earth? Me no know. Me no know. Yeah, that was, again, as I said, this industry is based on relationships. And once you make a good relationship with someone, they will be your advocate. I ended up doing a show for Jay-Z. It was a, uh, it was a, a live TV thing for Tidal. And my very good friend, Jesse, was the designer. And Jesse was doing Rihanna almost the same night. He was doing Rihanna at, like you say, David Letterman. Yes. And Jay-Z was down the street doing thing there. And then he calls me out of nowhere and said, hey, I need help. And you cover a Jay-Z show for me. I was like, oh, sure, when? He's like, No, no, oh, hold on, John. John, John, don't do that to me. John, don't, don't do that to my heart. My beating heart. But that's, how it, that, but that's how it works. Hold on, hold on, John. Hold on, John. Are we saying that regardless of how big the names became, you were like, ah, oh, yeah, man, no problem. Yeah, or does it hit you afterwards? It hit no, you. No, let me tell you, the name, the name will hit me. But here's what the thing is. I've always... Use the, 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 um, I've lost the word. I've always used the idea of Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. I always kind of, in some way, thank Usain for something that he did that I use in my life all the time. And what mm-hmm. it is is that when Usain is training, when he's out there training, every time he gets on the track, he's mm-hmm. running a race. Every time. So he's preparing to run the race of his life. Mm-hmm. And he's training to run the race of his life. So when he gets to that race, he has run it a hundred times already. He's, all he's doing is rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. It's muscle memory at this point. That is the same way I treat my job. Wow. I try and approach every job like it's the final race. And I've been practicing every time. So when it gets to the point of where, hey, Jay-Z, sure, no problem. In my mind, I've done this before. Correct. I've done this a hundred times. This is just a hundred and one. What is your most challenging? Well, what was your most challenging job or something that you had to, I mean, you probably have to figure it out all the time with the jobs that you do, but what was the one that challenged you the most? Because you said back in, in, in Edna, you know, you got to Edna and for the first six weeks, you're like, nah, I'm not doing this because you were not challenged. What was probably your biggest or most challenging job? Not that you didn't get it done, but clearly the one that made you say, whoa, that was different. I think they, there are a few of them like that, that I had to like dip into the, into the well, yeah. <laughs> kind of like draw it, you know. Maroon Ancestors. Five was, yeah, Maroon Five was one of them because it was it was such a big, big show, mm-hmm. so many moving parts, and um, it took me 
by surprise the first time I did it because there were so many things happening. Yeah. You have to almost have a laser focus the entire show. And what it was was that the show, the two, there was Adam lead singer and then the guitarist is also lead. And then I have four spots at the front and four spots at the back. Then I have automation. Then I have, I'm tracking certain things. So I'm looking ahead. So I'm trying, I literally go when in my, in my hotel room, I have the script open and I'm just rehearsing in my brain. Yes. Kind of like mentally shifting myself to go, okay, spots one and four, two and six, stand by. He's going to come down on the left side, stage right side, one and four, not yet. Wait, one and four, wait, wait, go. Two and three, stand by. He's on the other side. You know, I'm, I'm watching him, chasing him with these lights. Remembering where I'm in the song, where I'm in the show. Wow. Automation, you dare stand by. You know, there's, a, there's like so many cues. So it challenges you. But it's a refreshing challenge because you you you, you have to you're be ticking. on the mark, you know. And it's like I always said to myself, I ha- I have to focus, and I focus for seventy five minutes. Come on, how hard can it be? I'm just <laughs> a laser focus for seventy five minutes. <laughs> That's so laser. hard. Nothing that else. sounds hard. But what is funny is that as consumers, we take it for granted, right? As consumers, we see, we experience, mm-hmm. we feel what's going on. And, and it's only now with social media do we get the chance to see behind the scenes at the Oscars. And you're seeing these massive productions and how these guys are saying, Q, Q, camera, this. And it, it, it yep. looks like confusion, but everyone has a very big role to play. Now, you are a man who just um, referenced Usain Bolt and you said this is something that you're preparing for. You are training and you're preparing and each performance is as good as your last. Every single time you go to do the next one, it needs to be as good as, if not better than your last performance. Is there any show, and I mean, I'm talking about whether it's Coachella or whatever, is there any show or any production or even any artist that you probably would say, hey, I would love to have the opportunity to do lighting for, for that particular show or person. Do you have one? And if you do, who or what show would that be and why? Oh, that's a tricky one because a part of me would say I missed the opportunity because I think I would have, I really would have liked to work for Prince. Mm. I think just a personality the artistry avant-garde how you, how you approach this thing but then i hear the stories and i was like no never, never mind <laughs> <laughs> I don't work for but um that's always a hard one because because i'm not a a serious music fan mm-hmm. which is weird very oh, i think it's weird because very. i'd be driving in the car and the car the radio is off the whole time and it's and then she goes in the car and she has to choose the song that she's going to play before <laughs> she drives off. Oh you know what I mean? So, but for me, I'm at home all day. No music plays. That's you know crazy. I mean? um, so I'm not really, I'm not that kind of, that super fan that will ask, oh my God. But I think if I had to choose, it would be a tie between like Prince or Michael Jackson. You know, I was waiting when you said Prince. I was like, he ain't going to say Michael Jackson. (laughs) He isn't going to call MJ. Mm -hmm." Yeah. The reason why I didn't come initially is because, you know, he died so long ago. But at the same time. um, But yeah, as I think those iconic people, 
I think it would be good to work for. But then I'm so interested in art that I don't mind just working for anybody because there's so much beauty in art itself. Yes. Just creating something interesting, creating something one of a kind, creating something that people um, sometimes look over. You know, I think like when I did the the virtual sun fest, yes, that was an interesting one because I couldn't physically be there. Yes, so it was the first time I was creating the art and letting someone else use do it. Yes. So it was that one was was an interesting one to see it on the to draw it on paper, sketch it out, send the renders, and then hand it to two of my bestest, bestest, bestest. I call them friends slash students. Yes, and see them just smash it, and it's so good. But then to know that you know what I mean, and they even come back to me again and say thanks for the experience. They learned so much, mm-hmm. you know, and I think. For me, that that reminds me of that day when Swaby kind of said, "You want to work now?" Yes. It almost feels a full circle of fulfilling that legacy of saying, "I want to help someone bite the, you know, nip the bug like I did when I first when Swaby's like, "You want to work? Well, you're going to work yeah. right now." No, <laughs> you're right. You. And as you speak, what I recall is, um, as I said, we met at the launch of M Academy. And mm-hmm. then I had the chance, um, I was invited, re-invited to host the graduation right. um, because the first launch was really the enrollment of the young yes. students. Yes, it was. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity, we were in um, Augustone, to see these kids, these youngsters cross the stage and, you know, they had their name and um, their, uh, the, the communities that they were representing. And there were those of them who were so super, super proud to say, yo, you know, I did work some fest, you know, and that, yep. I mean, they had just enrolled in the, in the, in the school, the academy, yep. but they learned enough and they felt so good to be a part of this thing that they, they've heard of, but never in a million years did they yep. imagine ever actually attending it and actually working on it. And to see the transformation, it was amazing. It really, really, really was. So my yeah, question... I- mm-hmm. No, I say uh, to add to that, I remember I had a trip between, I don't think it was Sumfest. Yes, Sumfest. And then I did the last year Sumfest. And then I did that, the popcorn show. I came to Jamaica. And I remember some of the students coming up to me because I remembered my face, of course. Yes, yes. And just chatting, you know. And I think that was a special moment because they're like, I remember you, thanks, and with, and I'm just talking to them. And I think that's what I wanted the end product to be, that here they are working on these shows mm-hmm. and interacting with me like normal. Like, you know, there's no, it's not like, oh, it's him. Can we go talk to him? No, we were just, I literally stopped what I was doing. And we were just chatting on the stage. And I was so asking cool. them what they learned, and they were telling me, and I was trying to encourage them what else to learn and two minutes later another one come up to me and said hey sir and I said hi and we talk again and stuff and it was just a blessing to be a part of that and to see them grow and and have the confidence to come and talk to me because that was a big thing for me I didn't want to feel 
you know, on, a, on an altar or on a, a pedestal. Like no, man, the exchange was amazing. And you, you delivered, you delivered the keynote, even though you were not there. I remember, you know, you delivered yeah, the keynote virtually. Yeah. Um, so my last two questions for you, because, um, and, and, and of course, piggybacking on M Academy was the fact that one of the tutors or one of the instructors there was female. And I remember everybody bigging her up. I can't remember her name right now. Her name is um, Nadia Roxburgh. Nadia Roxburgh. And I understand that. Yeah. I mean, the, how, she's been, how she's been described is, I guess, how you were described when you were um, beside John Swaby. And you were like, little John. Because when I hear of her in the space now, everybody's like, yeah, man. So, you know, you have John Costa, And now you have like Nadia you know, where do you see the future of, of lighting and, and these, these um, spaces that, you know, typically people say are predominantly male, but seeing the likes of a Nadia come out of this, you know, what is your hopes for not just underserved communities, but even women, you know, taking up lighting director uh, positions? I think it's, um, I'm very hopeful and I'm happy. Uh, Nadia has been a good friend of mine um, mm-hmm. for so long. I've always encouraged her. And in fact, she was one of the two people I picked to do some fest. And she did say to me, she's like, why? She's like, why me? And I was like, I can't think of anybody else that I would trust. And I gave her enough room by adding someone else to kind of take some of the load so she mm-hmm. could focus. But to get back to that point that I think we're in good, good shape. Yes. To have like more Nadia's myself. My only concern that I'm having is with the with technology and with how shows are produced in Jamaica sometimes there's still there's this 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 heavy layer of mediocrity that just yes. kind of covers everything yes and a big part of it is i think it's just the people that are running the companies don't i always say there's art and there's money which one comes first hmm. And I think most of them are putting money first before art. Hmm. And I've lived my uh, entire life knowing that if my art is good, people will pay for it. So exactly. The money comes. And worry about the money after. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's my only concern. And I hope that, you know, that there will be more people that can do that. Put the art first. Make Give the audience something to talk about. Give them something, wow them. Give them something they want to, you know, go home feeling good. Because that's, for me, the payoff is watching. My last show that I did before the COVID thing was this 16-year-old, well, she's 17. She's 17 now. Um, her name is Jojo Siwa. Yes, we know Jojo Siwa. Yeah, yes. man, I did, I, did, I did all of our last couple of tours before the close down. In fact, the last show I did was with her. Wow. And I learned so much just from her, her work ethic. As at a 16, 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. Her beautiful person, smart, knows what she wants, keen eye for detail. She's super nice to everybody. And, mm-hmm. that's, a, and that's just her naturally, you know what I mean? Nice. But I learned so much from that nice. tour because I saw a different perspective. Because I've always worked for adults, but seeing this young person so driven and so focused, it was yes. really nice. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping that the people that work in the Jamaican industry can just, for once, 
just put the money aside for a little bit and just focus on the art and try mm-hmm. their best to create things that will stand time that people will like look back and quality. say, wow, that was a really mm-hmm. good, that's how I, I've tried to do all my shows. I want people to look back at it and say, yo, that show did bad enough. Yeah. I may not what they may never comment on the lighting, <laughs> but they commented on how great, great the, show the show was, which means I did my job. Absolutely. Because it, they were so enamored by the performance and the music, and I enhanced it so much that they felt a part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? The people that know the lighting stuff, then we say, yo, that bad or stuff. But the, For real, our, there's a different eye and a different person, perspective. Yeah, but the average person wants to be absorbed into the experience and come out going, my, I had a good time. That song they were Sasuke singing was so fun, and I'm singing along, and I'm dancing at home. And I did my job because I've enhanced it to the point that it's good. So I'm hoping that, you know, especially the young people, and I'm trying as I get closer to the hill. Um, <laughs> as to, you get closer to, to the hill. To be more involved in any kind of training opportunity. Young people reach out to me on Facebook. They're like, hey, I need to learn more about lighting. What can I do? And I say, buy this book, buy that book. By this, you know what I mean? And where can and hopefully find you? If, if I have any listeners right now who might be interested in lightning and just and lighting and just want to kind of reach out to you, where would they find you? Oh, um, anywhere on Facebook, John DaCosta, or anywhere on Instagram as the super lighting guy. The super lighting <laughs> guy. Reach out to me. I'll do my best to send as much books as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done so many of those kind of like um, virtual webinars with a couple of people, you know, and uh, free. Because for me, it's just, if I can encourage one person in this field, then I did my job, you know what I mean? So I want to to open that door and say, hey, just reach out to me. We'll set up a day session on Zoom and uh, help you talk through some processes and stuff john why do you think why do you let me ask you a question why do you think that um you know so many people who are at the top of their game are so afraid to exchange information exchange the and we're not saying you're exchanging the secret sauce nobody's asking for secret sauce but why do you think especially in the caribbean that there is a hesitation to share and to exchange so that others may, may 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 grow in their craft as well uh, I think two things. I think um, insecurity. Mm-hmm. Those people are insecure. Um, and typically people are insecure um, are the ones that don't know what they're doing. Woo! I knew that was They're barely cool. making Woo! it through. Woo! They're barely making it through on their own. So they can't teach someone because they're, they're barely making it through on their own. And then the other part is that they have already come from that culture where they had to fight to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been fortunate. I have never had to fight freely. My first lighting book was given to me by one of the white guys that came for some, for some fest. He handed me the book and said, here, read this. Yes. When I come back, tell me what you learned. You know what I mean? So I just feel that um, I want to share what I have. No, if they want to use it properly, then yeah, they'll succeed. But if they don't use it properly, then I can't help them. Absolutely. I can share as much as I can and I can share, but you have, it's up to them, up to the person, up to the student to use it properly. Absolutely. You know I mean? 
My last question, I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued. I'm so intrigued and that's because a lot of the times I go to shows and I look at the lights and I see when all the lights move and they go diagonal, then I see different colors and then they go across the stage and I'm always interested in knowing who is doing the production. And I don't know if that's because I've become entrenched in TV and, you know, so the production guys and the production crew have become a part of my professional um, um, life. But um, this is the last question that I ask of all my guests, you know, redirection um, means a lot to different people. Some had doors slammed in their face. Some were not given the job and found out that because they were not given the job, they ended up somewhere else. For others, it was necessary. It was maybe somebody looking and saying, Hey, I think you should go do the lighting for you. What and what you have experienced, what does redirection mean to you? That's a heavy one. <laughs> um, I think redirection would mean two things to me. It would mean amplifying what I need, which mm. means I knew that I needed to get into the lighting and I need to find a way how to do it. So I had to amplify my efforts, amplify everything that I did. Mm-hmm. So I stood out, amplified my conversation, amplified my work ethics, amplified that, make it bigger than it could ever be. So anywhere in the world, someone can say, hey, I work with that guy. He's amazing to work with. I'd love to work with him again. And then I think also, my friend said something to me recently and we we battled, not battle, we had a conversation back and forth because I wanted to get to the root of what he meant. And he was working on something. Yes. And he kept, I kept fighting with him to say, hey, just wait and we'll do it properly. Hold on, you broke up. Hold on, you broke up. You broke up. You said, hey, wait. Mm -hmm. I said, wait, 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 wait till till we can talk about it and get it done properly. He's like, no, when do we know and stuff. And then later on, we spoke and I was like, but you wasted the effort to do these two or three in between. And he's like, no. 1% 1% more than zero may still feel like it's zero, but it's 1% closer to where I need to be. Hmm. And that's what, and it made me think, I was like, wow, I probably didn't even think about it that way because it keeps the, the world and society seems to make these markers so far away that you can't, you feel so far that you can't get to that mark. You can't Correct. get to that you know, you're producing something and perfectionism takes over and you're like, I can't get to it. Right. But there is learning in the incremental steps towards it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to go rethink a lot of things that I've thought about before because I've always just not taken on something because I want the time to finish it. Correct. But he's like, no, take it on and get it to a point then keep going, keep adding to it because you're going to learn the process to get to. So the next time you might do it, you might jump to get to 100%, you know. So I think those are the two things. Um, redirection kind of like, um, not lexically mean, but mm-hmm. the, 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 when I think of redirection, those two things kind of come to mind. That incremental steps are just as important as big leaps. Absolutely. So. You're amazing. I don't know when last somebody has told you this, Jamaican John. 
Little John, Jamaican John, <laughs> super lighting guy. Um, you were fascinating to me when I first met you uh, in 2019 at the launch of M Academy. And now that I've had the opportunity of just sitting down and listening to how your journey took on its own life and you just allowed it to shape you and mold you, it's very, very impressive. And I thank you for all the work you do, not just as a, as a lighting guy, but as a Jamaican who's doing big things. You know, I really do appreciate your work ethics and how you take excellence everywhere you go. So thank you. And, and I'm just saying, just putting it out there, John, you know, uh-huh. when, you, when you become the LD at all of these, you know, big things, you know, if you get VIP tickets, right. you know, if you get the backstage passes and things, just remember you're Jamaican massive. You understand? Well, I always say, I don't wait. if I get a backstage pass, I'm not going to call you. But I'll get your front stage pass where you can come and see how it's all connected. The, the light. That part, yeah. Because I think you'd probably be more interested in that than the backstage world, which is just people walking around aimlessly. <laughs> Thank you. John, you've been amazing. Thank you for your time. And I just wish you all the best. As 2020 comes to an end, I know 2021 is... Yeah, unpredictable. We don't know where it's going to go, but I certainly know that because you're very good at whatever you do, whenever the adjustment or the adaptation takes place, you will still be excellent in every space that you walk into. So thank you, my darling, and you have a fantastic end of year. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the thought because, as I say, the more voices that people hear is the better they are. That will help them kind of get through 2020. And I think this conversation is important to have and to have something to listen to and aspire to. So I really appreciate your efforts in doing this and having me join you on the journey. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, I hope you you really enjoyed it. Please do not bombard the man in his DMs, okay? He's a fantastic guy. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. And of course, you will, we, will, we will link up. We will catch up next week. So thanks again for making it Redirection with Terry Carell. Take care. Mm-hmm.